We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, Best Game Cox podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, May the 17th, 2021. Today's show, my oh my, how sweet it is. Game Cox baseball goes on the road to Lexington, Kentucky, and takes all three games. The Kentucky Wildcats by scores of 12 to 6, 9 to nothing, and 11 to 6. Guys, I'll break down the series sweep in its entirety. We're talking key takeaways, TSUS series MVP, slap dig of the weekend, who's hot, who's not, and what's next for South Carolina baseball as the Gamecocks come into the final week of the 2021 baseball season. Also, guys, we got news and notes to get into, your listener questions, and a fantastic conversation, a fantastic interview. One of the all-time interviews here on these airwaves, Brad Lawing, former South Carolina defensive line coach, Two separate stints, I might add, from 1989 to 1998 and 2006 to 2012. Guys, he coached some of the best defensive linemen on some of the best teams in school history. Coach Lawing sat with me in studio for a great interview. Also, a special guest appearance at the end of the interview that you're going to want to be sure to stay tuned for. But again, a great conversation and a great show here on Monday, guys. So sit back, relax, enjoy. It is all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention on the companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company. They're a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is invested in your success. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they also offer black glove service. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They're founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni guys, so a Gamecock-owned small business. They also offer 20 years of project management moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, if you have any moving needs in 2021, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
my, how quickly things can change. In one moment, you're losers of three straight SEC series. You're losing a midweek game to your arch rival. You're not executing in situational and two-out hitting. You're not swinging the bats the way you should be. Things are not going your way, and your own fan base is starting to have doubts about your postseason future and the outlook overall of your season. How quickly things can change when you go on the road in conference play and take care of freaking business. Folks, happy Monday. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Chris Phillips, host the Spurs Up show. As always, appreciate you guys tuning in. And we have got a good one here for you on a Monday because I'll tell you what, guys, it has been a while since we've all woken up on a Monday and gotten to talk about South Carolina, not just winning an SEC series, but sweeping, and not just sweeping, but going on the road and doing so. It feels good. Feels good to chat with you all, guys. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. First things first, I want to say this, guys, because I don't know if y'all realize this or noticed this in the moment. I did as soon as we wrapped up on Sunday afternoon, but you know, not sure what's going to happen in regards to, you know, postseason play, Hoover, what my plans are in regards. Am I going to go? Are we going to watch them from the studio? Am I going to go on the road if it takes us there for the postseason? Whatever it may be. But in regards to the regular season, this past weekend was actually the last weekend of the live stream watch-alongs that we've been doing all baseball season long, of course, on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, having you guys tune in with me. You're truly giving yourself my live in-game commentary and all that good stuff. So, again, I want to say to you guys, because like I said, we may do more of those in regards to the postseason. I, I, I feel pretty confident that there will be more. But, of course, with this week, with four home games, I'll be at all four the final live stream watch-longs of the regular season concluded of the week. And I just want to take a second, guys, to say thank you all so much. Because I'll be honest with you, I was kind of on the fence about those. I know I had some people suggest them and stuff like that, and we started doing them this baseball season. I want to thank you guys so much. Because without your love and support and, honestly, encouragement to do it, I'm not sure that's something I would have pulled the trigger on myself or really even thought of to do so I want to say thank you to you guys for the love and support man you guys made it a huge success it's been a blast honestly it's like you know what? I'm gonna be here sitting here watching the games I might as well watch the games with my audience and us conversate and go back and forth and talk and answer questions and react together and celebrate and, and mourn we lose and all that good stuff but again thank you guys so much for making that such a success it, it's been awesome it's been fun it's been a blast to do and like I said, I feel like we're probably going to have more as we go along here. Who knows, though? Like I said, we know for sure for the regular season, the live stream watch-alongs have concluded. But again, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for making that such a huge success. Thank you for all the love and support in regards to the business, the content, showing love to the content, sharing the content, business. Everything is rolling right now. Positive momentum is rolling, guys, and I can't thank you enough. And let's, without further ado, Talk about positive momentum and the Gamecocks baseball team picking up positive momentum over the weekend as South Carolina goes on the road to Lexington, Kentucky and gets the series sweep of the Cats in Lexington for the first time, guys, by the way, since 2002. You know, a lot of people coming in this series were a little nervous, a little anxious, saying, Chris, we've never played well in Lexington. It's kind of funny. It's not just a Carolina baseball thing. It is a South Carolina sports thing. 
I've talked a lot about South Carolina, Kentucky football in regards to when the Gamecocks have to go to Lexington. If you look back at the past, even our best teams have struggled mightily in Lexington, even in victory. We've struggled in Lexington, and that goes the same way with our baseball team as well. I mean, 2002 was the last time we swept them at their place. So again, it feels great to get the sweep 12 to 6 on Friday, 9 to nothing on Saturday, and then 11 to 6 on Sunday, yesterday afternoon. Guys, jumping into key takeaways, and there are a lot of different directions that I could go here to start out with. But the first one is this hitting. Let's talk hitting because that's the number one thing with this team we all want to talk about. And the adjustment that was made at the plate. And I harped on it. And it was, I know a lot of you are saying, Chris, you should be an assistant coach. No, I, I don't think necessarily they were listening to me, but we certainly did harp on it in regards to productivity over power. You know, power's great. We love power. We love hitting the home run. And we saw it this past week. And hey, Andrew Eister. You know, his grand slam changed the complexion of that game on Saturday. And that's what the home run can do for you, right? It, it, is, a, it is a positive, and it is a strength of a ball club. It's a strength of this Gamecocks ball club that you have a bunch of guys in your lineup that can change the outlook of a game with just one swing. I mean, in one swing, you can go from losing to winning just like that. That's how powerful that home run is. We saw it from Braylon Wimmer. We saw it from Eister. But we had not seen enough of the South Carolina lineup in regards to productivity, productive at bat, situational hitting. You know, we saw at Clemson last week in the midweek, leaving guys on, stranding runners, you know, two out hitting, guys on second and third, less than two outs. What do you do? I talked about all this last week. And kudos, a congratulations, a round of applause to Mark Kingston, Stuart Lake, that entire offensive staff and that staff as a whole for South Carolina for really hammering that home, I feel like, and the adjustment being made. Now, I, I want to say this too, though. I will say this, and I bit my tongue on this all weekend long because I did not want to be the jinx, if you will, that spoke on it too soon, that put my tongue on our ball club, and then something happened that we did not want to happen in regards to results in these ball games. But a lot of you asked me, Chris, like, what, what, what's, what's going on? Like, what happened? Because this weekend, you score 32 runs in three games. 32 runs, 12, 9, and 11. I mean, you will take that any weekend, especially in SEC play, especially on the road. And I think it's a couple things. Do I think there were wholesale changes in regards to our approach? No, I do not. I do not think there was just some all of a sudden, hey, we're not even going to try to hit home runs. We're just completely scrapping our approach, and we just want to be good situational hitters and two-out hitters. I don't think so. I don't think that's what happened. Now, do I think there was an emphasis on it? Absolutely, 110%. You could hear Mark Kingston because the microphones, by the way, were very, very hot in Lexington. I don't know what was up with that. But the mics were hot. You could hear Mark Kingston saying, hey, drive the ball the other way, drive the baseball. You know, saying certain things, certain cues, if you will, in certain situations that let me know, okay, if nothing else, it is a point of emphasis for them. Not that it wasn't before, but even more so was a point of emphasis. Because, again, that was the, the area you were falling short in. You just simply were not getting the knocks. You them. We could not buy a timely knock coming into this series against Kentucky. 
And that's all you did all weekend against the Cats. I mean, the two-out hitting was phenomenal. You know, situationally, when you had guys on second and third, you had bases loaded, you were hitting sack flies, you were hitting ground balls to score runs. I mean, and then every now and then, hey, you were running into a ball like Andrew Eister did. You hit a grand slam, or you'd hit one in the gap, or you hit one down the line. But overall, the approaches looked much, much better. And certainly, I think there was an emphasis on that part of the game. There's absolutely no question. I will say this too, though, and like I said, this is the one thing I did not say in regards to the offensive approach that people kept asking me, Chris, why does it look so much different? Like, what is the difference between this team and the team we saw the last three weekends, if you will? And this is taking nothing away from our guys. Our guys executed it exactly what they were supposed to do. Hey, you go on the road and sweep any team in the SEC, you had a great weekend. Hey, look at the – and that, that's one thing I want to say too, by the way, because I know some fans on social media, and if you're being this way, if you're being negative after a series sweep just to be negative, you're just miserable. I don't know what to tell you. But if you look at the SEC landscape, guys, look at this past weekend. I mean, Missouri went on the road and took two or three Mississippi State. That's just the kind of league this is. You know, Florida lost game one to Kentucky. They didn't sweep them. So what you did as a Carolina ball club, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment to go on the road, get the sweep, much needed sweep. You absolutely had to have it. Now you sit 15 and 12 in SEC play. So again, it's taking nothing from our guys. But yes, there was an adjustment made. Yes, there was more of an emphasis on two out hitting and situational hitting and all those things we talked about. But also, guys, Let's just face it. We were finally facing a pitching staff that wasn't Arkansas. It wasn't Mississippi State. It wasn't Ole Miss. It wasn't Vanderbilt. You know, I know you guys get tired or got tired of hearing me say, oh, tip your cap, tip your cap, tip your cap. And at some point, hey, you're right. You got to stop tipping your cap. They got to tip their cap to you. I, I totally understand that. But it looked like to me, this lineup was just finally able to catch its breath. Like, okay, we're not facing the most dominant pitcher in the league. We're not facing a cops. We're not facing Landon Sims. We're not facing this first rounder, that first rounder. And, you know, South Carolina, credit to them. Again, like I said, it's taken nothing away, but you were able to take advantage and you were able to take care of your business. Again, you cannot say it enough how big it is to not just win the series, but to get this series sweep as well. On the mound, Again, you did more than enough. Obviously, I know a lot of us would love for less sloppiness in regards to the back end, the bullpen. I know at times was sloppy, and it definitely led to uh, the pace of play suffering immensely at the end of the first, the first and third game. The pace of play suffered immensely at the beginning of the or the end of the first and the third games. If I can just spit it out, which I'm going to talk about in just a second. But overall, um, you know, I thought. All three of your starters gave you solid outings. And, of course, Brett Carey standing out from amongst those. Brett Carey, man. I mean, what, what more can you say that hasn't already been said? I, I mean, the dude was absolutely phenomenal. He was incredible. He was electric. He made it look so easy. You know, because Brett Carey, here's the thing with Brett Carey. He doesn't have overpowering stuff. You know, he's not, he's not out there throwing 96, 97 miles an hour. I mean, his stuff, I would say, is not as good as Thomas Fars. It's not. His stuff's not as good as Will Sanders. But what Brett Carey does, guys, he just pitches. And he knows what he has. He's comfortable with his arsenal. And he just uses it. And you saw a guy on Saturday locate, locate, locate. He was locating up. He was locating down, in and out. Felt good with every pitch. Could throw him for strikes. Could throw it outside of the zone when he wanted. 
you know, change the eye levels, mix the speeds. And when you do that, you're going to have a lot of fun and a lot of success. And again, it certainly was for Brett Carey on Saturday. A complete game shutout. The first complete game shutout, by the way, since Will Crow in the 2014 regionals. It had been that long. And he did it in just 94 pitches. You simply cannot say enough about what Brett Carey did for you. Hey, I also want to say congratulations. Congratulations to Gamecocks Ryan a pitcher, Thomas Farr, getting his first career SEC win. So happy for him, man. I'm so happy for him. A long time coming, obviously, and was, was a statistic that, you know, we got really – I know I got tired of hearing about. I got tired of hearing about, oh, Thomas Farr didn't have an SEC win, and a guy that, you know, we all agree, I think, has pitched well enough in multiple SEC games, a lot of them, to – you know, to get that first SEC win. And I'm sure he felt very relieved to finally get some run support also behind him. But, uh, you know, he pitched well again. Brandon Jordan, I thought, did his thing. Yes, the back end of the bullpen was a little bit shaky, but I don't necessarily worry about that, guys. I mean, when a game gets out of hand and you're asking your relievers to come in, do whatever, you know, Julian Bosnick, Andy Peters, even Danny Loy, you know, is the focus quite as sharp? Is the focus quite where it would normally be if you're pitching against the Mississippi State and it's one to nothing or one to one or whatever it may be? So I don't worry about those guys. We've seen what Bosnick's going to do. We've seen what Peters is going to do. I have no concerns in regards to the South Carolina bullpen. But uh, just a complete weekend, a complete team weekend. You did everything from the plate, from the mound, in the field. And I also want to give a quick shout-out and give kudos, much-deserved kudos, I would say, and recognition to Gamecocks head coach Mark Kingston. Because I kind of challenged Coach Kingston, if you will. And not that, you know, he's, he's reading my predictions or he's reading my key player of the weekend, but... I talked about that this was a very, very, very big weekend for Mark Kingston. And that, you know, it was one that, let's face it, the, the fan base I think is mostly still supportive of Mark Kingston. I really do. I think it's the few here and there on Twitter or on social media that, oh, fire Kingston. You know, it's the few that it will never be good enough unless we, unless we get to Omaha and win the entire thing. And even then, I think they'd find a way to complain. You know, guys, expecting your team to get to Omaha every single year, you're going to drive yourself batty. You're going to drive yourself crazy. And here's the thing, guys, I'll say this. If you're tuned into this and you're not sold in on Mark, or you're not sold on Mark Kingston, you know, you're not sold on him yet as Gamecock skipper, I have no issues with that. If you want to be critical of Coach Kingston and, and a lot of his calls, I have no issues with that. Listen, I'm not a Mark Kingston stand necessarily. I'm certainly not a fire Mark Kingston guy, and I'm still a Kingston guy, as I've said many times, because I have no reason not to be. But if you want to be critical of Mark Kingston and his decision-making and things he's done, and his philosophies, the analytical side, by all means, you have every right, go right ahead. But for the love of God, all I ask is if you're going to be critical, if you're going to throw insults and throw jabs every time South Carolina strikes out, loses a game, gives up a homer, whatever, anytime a negative things ha thing happens. If you're going to be that person, then at least, at least be able to give credit the other way when credit is due. Because Mark Kingston, I thought that entire coaching staff, they had a really good weekend. I thought South Carolina outcoached Kentucky for the most part. Some really, really good decisions by Mark Kingston. Hey, 
rolling with Brennan Malone, sticking him out there at third, which you hope he's okay because I know he went with the hammy late in the game on Sunday, but sticking Brennan Malone out there. The decision-making within the pitching staff. Hey, Sunday, perfect example. Josiah Seitler, 3-0 count, gets a green light. Guess what he does next pitch? Hits a bomb. You know, the job that Mark Kingston and Stuart Lake did to get this group of hitters ready to go and to make the adjustment. I talked about all week how important that was and how big that was. And they did it. They answered the bell. They would answered the call. It was a series you knew that, hey, winning two or three is not enough. After you got swept at Ole Miss, winning two or three wasn't enough here. You had to sweep. You had to get to that 15-win number this weekend with Tennessee looming this upcoming week. So like I said, I, if you want to be critical of Mark Kingston, be my guest. Hey, he makes a lot of money to coach baseball. He deserves it, right? He should be able to handle the criticism. No doubt him, Skyler Mead, Stewart, like all of them. They get coached a lot, or they get paid a lot of money to coach baseball. And just like, you know, Shane Beamer, just like Frank Martin, any of those coaches, any coach in college, period, that's at that level, it comes with a job, right? You're going to have criticism, and it's fair. Heck, I'm going to be critical, guys, when things don't go well. I'm going to be critical when there's things I don't agree with. You guys know that already. You know the drill. You know, you guys know I will be the first person to jump down somebody's throat if I feel like they're messing up. But I'm also going to be one of the first ones, if not the first one, to applaud a good job when it's deserved. And I think Mark Kingston and this staff, this entire staff, deserve that applause of a good job. And again, you can say it was Kentucky. You can say this. But any time you go on the road, and this was a big one for Kentucky too, guys. This was a huge series for Kentucky. They came into this one, what, 11 and 12? Excuse me, they came in... What was their SEC record? They were a game behind you, right? They were a game. Let me let me check. Let me just double check. I want to make sure I get this right. Yeah, 11 and 13. Excuse me. I messed that up. They came in 11 and 13, and you were 12 and 12. Both teams needed this one bad. I mean, needed it bad. And you went in and took care of your business. You did your job. And now you find yourself 15 and 12 heading into the last week of the regular season, which I'll tell you guys, I'm shedding a single tear because I can't believe it's almost over. I can't believe it. I cannot believe the regular season is damn near over. But 15 and 12, heading into this last SEC weekend against the Tennessee Volunteers, who we all saw what they did over the weekend, a fantastic series, losing two of three against the number one ranked Arkansas Razorbacks. And of course, guys, I will break down that series in its entirety on Wednesday and Thursday of this week. But with that being said, you took care of your business. And I, like I said, Gamecock fans, you want to be critical of Mark Kingston, the staff? Fine, but applaud a good job when it's deserved. And I think that staff deserves the accolades and the recognition for getting this team ready to play. Hey, you had, hey, there was plenty of reason to not play well this weekend. You had lost three straight SEC series. Coming off of a loss in the midweek against your arch rival, your fan base is bitching and moaning. People are thinking, oh, you're done. This team's done. They're crumbling down the finish. Nope. Go out there. Take care of your business. From the jump, by the way, jumping on this Kentucky team early. Four runs in the first on Friday, a run in the first on Saturday. You jump out early on on Sunday. I mean, it felt like the series was never in doubt from start to finish. I'm never in doubt from start to finish. So, 
great job by really this entire team, man, to make the adjustment, to battle the adversity. You know, like I said, this team has seemed to all season love its back against the wall. I, I don't know what it is. I, I know this team has great character, great resiliency, toughness, battle, win anyway, all of those different things we talk about. Um, but, hey, that, that's the situation you were in. You came into a series, backs against the wall, had to win this series, had to at minimum take two out of three, but you really needed the sweep and you get the job done. And again, in all facets in all, and now you, Hey, talking about positive momentum, getting hot at the right time. We talked coming into this weekend, this past weekend, the number one question that I had with this team and still have, because it's just three games. Now you got this week upcoming, you got to do the job yet again this week. But the question that I had and still have, but we started to see the answer of hopefully this past weekend was, you know, I still really like this lineup. I still really, really like this pitching staff. I still like this coaching staff. I still like this team in the field. I like this team top to bottom. But does this team have one more run left in it? Does this team have one more hot stretch left in it? Because I feel like this season has been, you got really, really hot. Then you lost a few. Then you got really, really hot again. Then you lost a few. Could this be the start of another hot streak, a hot run, a hot stretch for this Carolina Ball Club. Going to be very interesting to see. All right, guys, let's move to TSUS Series MVP. Now, this is one that's going to be very, very highly debated and very much so probably talked about across social media circles, and I'm ready for it. Hey, I am ready for you guys to let me have it. Because after Saturday, I said, no doubt, Brett Carey. Complete game, shutout, he's got to have it. And Brett Carey was actually my player of the series, was my TSUS series MVP for last weekend series against Mississippi State. And I normally try to not give it to the same player back-to-back weeks. I'm like, hey, let's spread the love, right? I want to spread the love to all of our guys. But I thought after Saturday, like, man, I mean, it's going to take somebody just going off to steal that award away from Brett Carey. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I went back and forth, and I thought about it some more. And I'll tell you guys, as much as I want to give it to Brett Carey, and his performance was incredible. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. A huge game, a huge win to clinch the series on Saturday. But when you're talking about a series MVP and a guy that I believe and know, I mean, the stats tell you, a guy that truly impacted all three games that he played in in a very, very big way. My TSUS series MVP goes not to Brett Carey, but a Gamecocks hitter, and that Gamecocks hitter being outfielder Andrew Eister. Guys, Eister was on fire all weekend long. Get these numbers. He went eight for 12. He went eight for freaking 12, guys. He hit 666 on the weekend. 667, let's call it that. I don't, I don't like the, 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 negative, the negative juju of 666. <laughs> it's 667, right? I'm doing that right, right? Yeah, two for three. Yeah, yeah. 667 on the weekend, eight for 12. Had a home run. By the way, his home run was a grand slam in the Saturday game that really blew that thing open. He had nine RBI in the three-game series. Also drew three walks and had a stolen base and played a very solid right field, I might add, defensively. Nothing flashy, but played a solid right field. 
So with that being said, I know there's going to be a lot of debate. A lot of people saying, Chris, no way. It's got to be Brett Carey. I totally understand it. I think you have a valid argument. But when it comes to talking about the series MVP and the series as a whole, I just simply cannot ignore what Andrew Eister did. I I cannot ignore what Andrew Eister did. And for that reason, he is the TSUS series MVP. Again, eight for 12, a home run, which was a grand slam, nine RBI, three walks, and a stolen base. Incredible weekend from Andrew Eister. Hey, like I said, Please flood the DMs, flood the comments, flood me on social media with all of your debating about Brett Carey. I'd love to go back and forth with you guys because, like I said, it's a very valid argument. I'm not going to lie. All right, it was, it was tough to pick an MVP for this weekend, which is a very good thing because we had a lot of guys have big weekends. All right, let's move into slap dick of the weekend, guys. And this one, I know many of you are going to say, Chris, it's got to be the announcers. It has to be the announcers. Here's what kills me about people complaining about the SEC Network Plus announcers. I don't know if you guys know this, guys, but when we go on the road in the SEC, which I guess we won't do that again this year because the regular season, at least our road series, that was the last one, which, God, I mean, that makes me so sad. How was This season has just flown by. But anyways, a lot of you are going to say, Chris, it's got to be the announcers. Guys, I don't know if you realize, when we go on the road and play these teams, it's their announcers. No kidding they're pulling for Kentucky. No kidding they're pulling for their own team. So, of course, they're going to sound like slap dicks to us. But undoubtedly, no question, it's not the announcers. The slap dick of the weekend for this weekend in Lexington wasn't a person, wasn't a player, wasn't a coach. The slap dick of the weekend was the pace of play. I mean, my God. Listen, I love the game of baseball, but nobody wants to watch a four-hour game. And Friday and Sunday alike, I don't know what happened. Games moving along pretty swiftly, going through the first five or six innings. Bro, we get to the sixth, seventh, eight. Jesus Christ. The walks, the, the freaking hits, the run. I mean, which is it's great. I love to see us scoring. But my God. God, just taking forever these four, four and a half hour games. Nobody wants to see that. And how do you speed it up? You know, listen, the, the pitching was not great this week, and especially on the Kentucky side. So I think that was really the reason for the pace of play issues, if you will. But, you know, I don't know, man. <laughs> that pace of play thing, that, that was brutal. I, I know that was that was something as we were sitting there in the live stream watch along, we're just looking at each other like, dude, come on. I made the joke, hey, the top of the ninth, let's just bunt three times so we can get back out there and get the final three outs. Like, who cares? Who cares? You know what I mean? Just get the final three outs and be done with it. All right, let's move into who's hot, who's not, guys. And don't worry. I'm giving Brett Carey his just due because who's hot, it's got to be Brett Carey. I mean, what he did against Mississippi State last weekend. And then this weekend, oh, no big deal. Just tops the shit out of that. Complete game shutout, four hits, no runs, no earn, no walks, 10 strikeouts. And again, what was so crazy? You know what's even crazier, guys, now that I think about it? What's crazy is he had 94 pitches. He did it in 94 pitches. What's crazier? He had 10 strikeouts and did it in 94 pitches. Only seven hitters saw a two-ball count against Brett Carey. I mean, what more can you say? Again, what more can I say that has not already been said? I mean, it's just incredible. It's insane. It's amazing. It's what an outing. And, you know, I think that was something else. By the way, oh, I completely forgot. Talking about Mark Kingston and talking about Skyler Mean, talking about the coaching staff. How about the move by this coaching staff 
to put Brett Carey out there in the first place in the starting rotation. What a call that was. What a move. That didn't pay off major dividends or anything. So Brett Carey, giving you all you could ask for and more. I mean, he was the story of the Saturday game and, you know, arguably the story of the series. Like I said, now you move into this week and this weekend and you're like, man, you know, I made the joke on Saturday, which I thought a lot of people would understand it was a joke. Hey, you think Brett Carey earned another start? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, dude, without a doubt, without a doubt. He, he is, you know, one of your one of your best two or three arms right now. I know, that, I know a lot of you would argue he's your best arm right now. Without a doubt, he will stay in the rotation. I, I don't know if he'll start game one, two, or three. I have no idea. But what Brett Carey did, incredible. Incredible. I, I mean, just a dude who went out there, attacked the zone pitch, mixed speeds, located. And like I said, when you do that, Really, really good things happen. Uh, who's not? All right, we got to pick a who's not. I'm going with George Khalil. Went two for 11 with four strikeouts on the weekend. Nothing against Georgie. You know, whatever. He had a solid weekend. It is what it is, but we got to pick somebody. So who's not? George Khalil, two for 11 with four strikeouts. What's next for South Carolina baseball? Big week this week, guys. And of course, an adjustment to the podcast schedule just because the Thursday through Saturday series this week. And of course, first things first, those tomorrow. The last midweek game of the 2021 college baseball season or South Carolina baseball season, if you want. Guys, I know many of you look past the midweek games and, you know, whatever. It's the midweek. Who cares? I'm not going to lie to you. I'm kind of (laughs) sad. I am. Coming in the last week of the regular season, we've got the midweek game tomorrow against Appalachian State at Founders Park. And then, like I said, Thursday through Saturday, which if you're asking, everyone in SEC play will be Thursday through Saturday this weekend because of the SEC tournament starting in Hoover next week. So everyone's playing Thursday through Saturday this upcoming week. But again, tomorrow against App State, Thursday through Saturday against the Tennessee Vols, which again will be a huge, huge series for South Carolina. Of course, Tennessee probably going to remain in the top five after losing two or three to Arkansas. Both of their losses, I think all three of the games were one-run games. So Tennessee's legit. They're for real. They're one of the best ball clubs in the entire country. They might be a legitimate Omaha ball club. So that will be a huge weekend for you. But, hey, you got to love the position you're in right now. Coming in 15-12 and 12 in SEC play, like I said. And like I told you guys last week, I picked this team to finish 16-14 and 14 in SEC play. So I think the people that are upset right now, which I don't want to focus on them because there's not many. There's not many. But you guys see it, too. But for the people that are still kind of on the fence about this season or that are upset, you know, if you came into this season, I think, expecting to win 18, 19, 20 SEC games, I think you just set bad expectations coming in. I really do. So 15 and 12 coming in, you've got a big opportunity at home this week. And I know Tennessee, one of the top ball clubs in the country, but hey, on your home field, man, on your home field. And you got positive momentum. You can keep that going tomorrow night against App State. Who knows? Maybe you can hit that 17 and 13 mark, but I think if you get to 16 and 14 or better, which should be very doable again at home, I think you lock up a hosting spot in regards to your postseason future and your postseason dreams. And, you know, this is crunch time. Where's everybody going, right? I think you get to 16 and 14, definitely 17 or 17 and 13. You lock up that hosting bid, which is all what what we all want to see. For Gamecocks baseball. All right, let's move into, with that being said, guys, let's move into news and notes because the first thing on the docket, Founders Park, this happened on Friday, of course, but I want to mention it. Founders Park picked as one of the 20 host sites in regards to 
postseason play, regional play, if you will. And of course, Selection Sunday will, or I think it's Selection Monday actually, will be Monday, May the 31st, after the SEC tournament has concluded. So they will trim it from 20 sites to 16. So the fact you made the top 20 is a very, very good sign. Now, like I said, if you can get to 16 and 14 or better, and let's say win a game or two in Hoover, I don't even know if you got to do that. If you get to 17 and 13, I don't think you got to win a single game in Hoover. You go to 16 and 14, you probably want to win at least one. But either way, getting that series sweep, that's why it was so big to get that series sweep of Kentucky because you feel like you're in pretty good shape now to be picked on that Monday, May 31st, Selection Monday as one of the 16 host sites. But again, Founders Park as of right now is one of the top 20. The first piece of the puzzle is complete. Now we wait. Now we'll see. Another quick note, guys. Gamecocks football. Picking up a commitment. Shane Beamer, 2022 three-star defensive back, Kawan Banks. And this one, guys, if you remember last weekend, the welcome home tweet that Shane Beamer put out, this was that tweet. We're all kind of waiting, seeing, okay, when's this kid going to commit? Who is it? Whatever. Three-star defensive back, Kawan Banks, out of the state of Florida. And, hey, I like the pickup overall. I mean, listen, defensive back we know is a position of need. Torian Gray building out that defensive back room. Um, and from everything I've seen and read, I'll be honest, I have not done some deep dive on the kid or anything like that, but everything I've seen, read, heard, whatever, uh, seems like a pretty solid pickup for Shane Beamer and company. They continue to build momentum on the 2022 recruiting trail. So overall, guys, and, and I'll say this too about recruiting really quickly because people are asking Chris, like, what's the deal with recruiting? How do we look in recruiting? It's going to get really, really crazy and hectic and really fun, I guess you could say. But things are really going to pick up as we get into summer with the uh, the lift on – excuse me, guys, sorry. The lift on uh, the recruiting stuff in regards to we can have on-site, on-campus visits again. You can get people in, you know, on campus, in the building, in the ops building – in the stadium, all that good stuff, indoor facilities. And that's going to start in June. So I think definitely recruiting for all schools probably is going to pick up a lot. You're going to see commitments start to roll in for this 2022 recruiting class as Shane Beamer continues to build that out. All right, let's dive into your listener questions, guys, and then we'll get into our interview. First things first, Brennan underscore Smith 47 says, good things happen when you win game one. In, hey, Brennan, no truer words have been spoken here on this Monday. You are correct, sir. Final question here. We only had two. Austin G underscore 45. Is it fair to temper excitement over bats because of playing Kentucky? And I'm glad you asked this one. Austin G underscore 45. I'm glad you asked this one. Because like I said, do not take anything away from our guys. Don't take anything away. You went on the road, you took care of business, and you spanked Kentucky. You didn't just barely beat them. You spanked them. You took care of business in all three games. Those games were, in my opinion, were never in doubt. Those games were never in doubt. And offensively, you made the adjustments, you executed, you did exactly what you had to do. With that being said, I think we can all acknowledge that, hey, you weren't facing Arkansas, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, even Florida, right? I think you just finally saw this lineup against a team that's not ranked in the top 10. And that's not even trying to be that disrespectful of Kentucky because Kentucky's still a quality SEC ball club. 
But I think it was a mixture of a couple of different things. But if you're just going to say, oh, it doesn't matter because we played a bad Kentucky team. Well, I disagree with that. Because I don't care who you're playing in this conference, especially when you go on the road, you still got to do your job. You still got to execute. You still got to take care of your business. And you were able to do that. So that's like, hey, now let's see this team carried over to Tennessee. I totally agree with you. I, I don't disagree at all, right? If we played Arkansas tomorrow, I wouldn't expect us to go out there and score 12 runs. But I think the positive to take away again offensively at the plate, which is this team's biggest question, what fans should be taking away from it, and the positive to take away is, okay, if nothing else, and I think this will carry over into no matter who you play. We'll see it this weekend against Tennessee, I truly believe. If nothing else, there's more of an emphasis on it. I truly believe that. There's more of an emphasis on situational hitting. There's more of an emphasis on two-out hitting, of clutch hitting. You know, I don't feel like we saw that quite as much before. Again, is there some wholesale change in the approach? No, I don't think so. I don't think there's just, they, they went, you know, last week and just, oh, we're going to scrap the entire approach. We're going to do this, this, and this now instead. No, I think it was simply, all right, guys, we know what we got to do. We know what we've been lacking. Let's make it a point of emphasis to when we get a guy on third and one out, we are going to drive him in no matter what the hell we got to do. Hey, we get in this situation, we're doing this. This situation, we're doing that. Two outs, we're locking in, laser focus, doing everything we can to get a base knock. So, and I think that's what you saw from this Carolina Ball Cup. Now, let's see it carry over tomorrow in the midweek, and let's see it carry over against Tennessee this weekend into the SEC tournament and then beyond that in the postseason play. So, great stuff, guys. Great stuff here on Monday. God, how, how sweet it is. It feels good to be talking to you guys. And by the way, one quick reminder, if you're listening to this in the morning, I may or may not have made a little bet with – uh. Heath Hagler, I want to shout out Heath Hagler, who tunes into the live stream watch along. I may or may not have made a little bet with Heath Hagler in regards to the Daily Crow uh, for Monday, for today. So I'll just say, and I won't say what it is, even though you guys have probably already seen it on social media, which I, you know, I'll go ahead and say it. I got the blow up pool for summer, guys, and it started to heat up in the city. Uh, might be a change in location for the Daily Crow today. So if you're hearing this in the morning and Maybe you're kind of on the fence or you don't know if you're going to tune in the Daily Crow. If nothing else, just give it a peek. You might be kind of interested to see where we're doing the, uh, the Daily Crow from today to celebrate the sweep. But great stuff. Hey, great stuff there. Great weekend in Lexington. Now, guys, we have got a great conversation, great interview. He came in studio. Former Gamecocks defensive line coach Brad Lawing. And, guys, I feel like this is someone that needs no introduction. This man has done it all. Two separate stints at South Carolina and coached some of – I coached the best defensive linemen, the, the best defensive lines to ever come through the University of South Carolina on some of, and I would say, the best defenses to ever take the field in Columbia. And that is Brad Lawing, guys. Great conversation. It's all brought to you by our friends over at – Manscaped. God, breaking news. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. Guys, it's your public service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team is confirmed. They have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA 
in Canada. Guys, this new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are at one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Guys, join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the promo code TSUS at manscaped.com. Guys, I'm sure you saw on social media over the weekend, I posted it. Manscaped sent me their care package. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance, guys. The craftsmanship and details in the 4.0 are next level. Their advanced ceramic blade and skin-safe technology is so good that it almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk's engineers to ensure your testes are as safe as possible. And guys, we've all been there, right? We've been there, done that. We've had a bad blade. We've had a bad manscaping experience. We cut ourselves. We nick ourselves. We're bleeding. It's burning. It, it just, it ruins your whole vibe. It, it just, it is a vibe killer. It is a certified vibe killer when that happens, guys. Leave that in the past. What makes this trimmer different from all the other trimmers, you might ask? A couple of things. A new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. Also, the Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4,000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard links with sizes one through four. And looks-wise, guys, it's sleek with a two-tone matte and gloss finish, even features a hot foil stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. Guys, the optimized Flawmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof so you can groom in the shower and not have to worry about making a mess on the bathroom floor. Guys, did I mention, by the way, get this. Technology's wild, man. Wireless charging for a freaking ball trimmer. It's nuts. Literally, it's nuts. The Flammowers 4.0 new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help battery length last longer. And guys, if you're still trimming your face with your ball trimmer, it's safe to say it's time to make some changes. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TSUS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TSUS. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth, guys. Your balls will thank you later. Our friends are at manscaped.com, promo code TSUS. Be sure to check them out, guys. Appreciate those guys at Manscaped. Appreciate you all for tuning in, guys. Have a great rest of your Monday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks football coach, Brad Lawing. All right, joining us on the show once again here in studio, friend of the show, a man that really needs no introduction, but we'll do it yet again in case you guys forgot again. He started his college coaching career at Appalachian State, coached at South Carolina from 1989 to 1998 in his first stint, Michigan State from 99 to 02, UNC from 2003 to 2005. Then, of course, he came back to join Steve Spurrier's staff in 2006 to 2012. Was it Florida 2013 to 14? Then at FSU 2015 and 2017, his last stop, Georgia State in 2019. Now retired, of course, living in the local area. Coached seven NFL first-round draft picks. And, again, of course, some of the greatest Gamecocks in school history on some of the best teams in school history. Very pleased to be joined. Former Gamecocks defensive line coach Brad Long. Coach Long, it's great to have you in the studio yet again. Man. Like I said, the studio's changed a little bit. Things have changed. And since the last time we spoke, you remember that was the week of kickoff, the first game of the 2020 season. So much has changed since you and I last spoke for sure. Right. But it's great to have you back in. I here, do man. the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start first, Brad. We'll go back to, you know, your first two stints at South Carolina. I know we dove deep into that last time, but j- just talk about I guess the differences, because you think about it again, 89 to 98, and then you were there from 06 to 12. 
boy, things were a lot different in those two stints, I feel like. The overall vibe of Carolina football, the facilities, the, the, the coaches, the athletes, you know, you literally were there when you got the SEC hat on, you joined the conference. I mean, compare and contrast, I guess. Do, do, you, do you look back and you're like, you're more favorable to one or the other, the two stints, or I guess how were they different? How are they the same? And just reflect a little bit on, on your time in Columbia and those, those well, two the, the first time we were here, uh, we, again, we, we didn't have – SEC caliber players from top to bottom. Yeah. And uh, we knew that when we got here and uh, we had played South Carolina when I was at App and we were very competitive with them. And it was just, when we got in the conference. I mean, I remember Coach Woods, I mean, our very first staff meeting, it was late at night mm-hmm. and we'd been through the dorms trying to get to know some of the players. And uh, he's that first staff meeting, he said, I really wish I was the next head coach here. <laughs> Because we knew it was getting ready, it was it was going to be a tough go of it, and uh, and we had we had some really good players. I mean, uh, Corey Miller and you know Todd Ellis, guys like that, and, and Harold Green, outstanding players. We just didn't have from top to bottom what we needed, and uh, we started recruiting better as we got into it, and then uh, it made change, and then Coach Scott came in, and and we won the, the very first bowl game in South Carolina history. Yeah. But still, we just we didn't have you know SEC talent from top to bottom. And when I got back, uh, this, the, the second time, we had guys that I mean, could really play in, the, in this league. Mm-hmm. And, and defensively, we went out and got us some better ones too. Yeah, uh, I remember when I when I got here, I, I made the statement. I said, "We've got to change the DNA of of our defense right now." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and we did. I remember Cliff Matthews was one of the first big gets, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, and Travian Robertson uh, mm-hmm. in that class and, of course, Melvin. And, and so we, and it was really a good time to be here and for recruiting because there was such a huge amount of talent. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about NFL talent in the state, and we got them all. Yeah. I mean, basically, I mean, we missed on one every now and then. But I mean, it's when we went head to head with Clemson and recruiting in state. Mm. I don't know if we ever missed one. Yeah, and we got them all. And because uh, that was when Holloman flipped and a couple other guys flipped, and from there, it was, like yeah. you said, just everybody was coming to South Carolina. Yeah, just and, I mean, you know, and Marcus and of course, like I say, are the Greenwood uh, guys. You know, Kelsey and mm-hmm. and DJ and uh, or Jungle Boy, as your shirt <laughs> yeah. says right there, and Free Jungle so, Boy. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, you know, Alshon Jeffrey, Devin Taylor, and we had, and we had done a really good job of evaluating talent, mm. and so we didn't make very many mistakes in recruiting. And the guys that we targeted, that we wanted to get, we got them, and that wasn't always the case mm. here at South Carolina. And so the second stint, again, I enjoyed more because we had more success. Mm. And I got a chance to work for Coach Spurrier, who is uh, outstanding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah. I can't say enough good things about him. Let you do your job, I'm sure. He wasn't much of a defensive no, I mean, guy. <laughs> you know, he, he just he just wanted to make sure yeah. that he got a chance to call enough plays. Yeah. And he liked getting that ball back. <laughs> right. In fact, the other day, and this, this flashed in my mind, but I saw a Presbyterian just hired a coach, mm-hmm. and it said – who's never punts. Yeah, I actually saw, funny enough, you say that on Twitter, that a guy I know he had an interview with him, and, yeah, it was the coach that never punts. He never, never punts. punts. And the first thing that went through my mind was, 
oh my gosh, Coach Spurger's gotten back and coached college football. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, I remember some games. I mean, if we couldn't stop them effectively yeah. early, they just go for it on fourth down. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's, that was his, uh, yeah. you know, demand. Who can forget that. 2014 Auburn? I know you weren't there, but I mean, that was just, I think we like went six for eight on fourth down, just whatever. They're going to score at will. We got to score too. So, yeah. well, I remember uh, down at LSU. <clears throat> Yeah, we got the ball. I think it was inside our own thirty-yard line, and we went for it on fourth down and didn't get it. And then yeah. we're, immediately we were in the red zone on uh, on defense yeah. with, without punting. So, uh, yeah, he's he's something, but yeah. he's he's a great coach. Now I feel like coach the conversation with you always shifts back to recruiting because you were such an elite recruiter. And I talked to somebody else about this. One of my good buddies actually. Uh, and of course, I won't say his name, but he works for Georgia football right now. We were talking recruiting. I've talked with others this as well that, you know, you talk about how South Carolina was able to dominate in state when you were there. And I think they actually did a really, really good job under Coach Muschamp in state, too. But he talked about, you know, in recruiting, there's this the, the narrative is, oh, you want to win the state. You want to put up, you know, put up barriers around the state, whatever. But he talks about it's really not even about that. It's about you want to go get the 25 best available football players exactly. like in today's recruit. When you guys recruited, I mean, was the focus, you know, really on winning the state or did it just so happen the best players were in the state of South Carolina at that time? There were two factors. One is definitely the best players were right. in this area. But we tried to take a five-hour radius. Yeah, I was going to say, what was your what was the recruiting a five, pipeline? A five-hour radius yeah. around Columbia yeah. and branch out. Of course, when you go east, you're on the Atlantic Ocean and no, no ball players <laughs> right, down there. Right. But we took that radius and which included Atlanta, included North Carolina, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, we went in those areas. Like, I think the, the the first or second year I got back here, we signed, I think, six or seven kids out of North Carolina that year. Yeah. And they were, I mean, some really, yeah. really good oh, yeah. ball players. Yeah. Some guys that played in the NFL. And, you know, just we, we, just, we had everything just came together. Yeah. Recruiting wise, coaching wise, we have a fantastic staff. I mean, I, I look back at it, and I know defensively, I mean, we had some guys that, you know, that knew what was going on, understood, you know, the recruiting aspect, understood defensive football. And then whenever some guys left, uh, Coach Spurrier did a great job of replacing them mm -hmm. with, with guys that were, were also good. And so, uh, you know, and I'll use Ellis Johnson as an example. I mean, to go out and get, you know, Ellis – I mean, that, that's a, that's a steal. In my Where mind. was he at before South Carolina? He was at Arkansas, Arkansas for about okay. a month. Right. In fact, <laughs> he, uh, he went to Arkansas. We hired Brian Van Gorder. And, oh, this was that situation. Right. Oh God. Hired yeah. Brian Van Gorder. And, uh, he was here about a week or so. Yeah. And coach Spurrier turned right around and, and he hired Ellis. And he had considered Ellis the first time. Right. And, uh, so that's, when all that happened, and so uh, Ellis came in, and he and I had coached together at Appalachian State, and so we were very gotcha. familiar with each other, and uh, it, it worked out really good. Yeah, and again, you talked about the recruiting side on the defensive line. You talked about that first stint. You didn't have the SEC ball players, and it's funny because, you know, the the way defenses play, the whole game's changed, but, you know, your first stint at Carolina, you're probably thinking of defensive linemen, just big, bulky guys, stop the run, whatever. Then his offense has started to spread out defenses had to spread out and you had to get more guys like Clowney that were big, right. but also really fast and really agile. When do you think the shift happened? Cause again, I mean, you coached from, 
you know, literally your app state days and starting at Carolina in 89 until 2019, the game changed so much around when do you think it was when like the offenses started to change, which forced you guys. To well, I think make the coach Spurrier did a lot of that at Florida. Mm. You know, his, his knowledge of the passing game was so far ahead of a lot of people. Mm. He forced people, you know, if, if you're going to compete with, with uh, Florida, you've got to be able to, to stop the passing game. Right. And that's when it really started changing and that I saw was, you know, his, his, his knowledge of the past game. I mean, he's just, if he knows where that safety is going to be, hmm. if it's going to be a single <laughs> high or two high safety. Yeah. I mean, he can eat you up now. Right. And, uh, kind of like if you know where the center's going. Exactly. <laughs> and for yeah. the pass rush. Yeah. And no doubt. That's my, my Sunday chore every, yeah. every, every week during the season. But when he was at Florida, I mean, he was, I mean, rolling up some big numbers hmm. and I thought that's when it really started changing. And, uh, if you can't defend the pass, you know, back then, I mean, you were going to get run out of the dang stadium Yeah, and, uh, and he did an outstanding job, but so probably in the nineties is hmm. when I really saw it, you know, starting yeah. to change. And then all of a sudden here comes, you know, uh, not just the spread, but you know, the zone read hmm. when that quarterback became a a runner also yeah that even added another cog to what the offenses are doing so now i mean you really had to up your speed and athleticism mm -hmm. on defense if you were going to compete and be able to even coach people. spurrier evolved whether you know the first one i think being savelle newton and then you saw the stephen garcias and of course the right. the connor shawls that kind of ran you know south it's funny south kind of just became Everybody thinks of Coach Spurrier. We're going to throw it 50 times. I mean, Carolina became a – we win with running game and defense. I mean, right. really, that's the best teams in school history. That's how they won games with Lattimore Shaw and that defense. I mean, and, again, and he was very fortunate to be able to get some quarterbacks in here that could do both. Yeah. And uh, and we started recruiting that way. I yeah. mean, it's – again, it's so hard to protect for your quarterback hmm. that if you don't have an athletic quarterback, I mean, that can extend plays – I mean, you're behind the eight ball yeah, in a big way as far as moving the football. So we started getting athletic quarterbacks in here. I mean, you look back, I mean, as everybody looks at Dylan Thompson, they say, well, he, you know, he was, you know, a passer first. No, not really. <laughs> I mean, he, I remember he, he put a hurting on Clemson. Had that third 19. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that's when also we got into disguising so much on defense. And Coach Spurrier was really big about that because he knew that if he, again, knew where those safeties were, hmm. he was going to, I mean, chew up a defense. So he made us on defense become very, very uh, aware of you've got to disguise because hmm. he knew that's, that was really how you could slow him down a little bit right. as if you disguised. And so, uh, again, we just – we, we worked on that really hard in disguise in our front stemming around. Uh, so it's, again, I, I credit coach Spur. With, yeah. with a lot I was going to say that had to be a really fun dynamic in regards to you're showing up to practice every day, coaching against the best. Right. I mean, it's competition between everybody coaches too. Right. And you know, I've, you obviously know, we talked, I think last time coach Spurrier would be very quick to get on you if you're not, Oh, you know, because yeah. I think I heard one of the most interesting things. I, I don't know if they were talking about Kirby Smart or, or something else, whatever it was, but it was talking about 
coaches, head coaches don't just coach players. They coach coaches. Yes. And I, I just, I never thought of it or heard it that way, but I guess that's a real dynamic as far as like the coaches are also coaching their other coaches on like how they should be doing things. Well, we had a, a big sign in our defensive meeting room here at South Carolina that had a list of all the things that we needed to do on defense when we were game planning. And it was Coach Spurrier's philosophy. And he sat, sat out that one year after the Redskins. Mm. And I think he wrote down everything that causes him problems. Yeah. And I, that was everything on that sign. I, I mean, it was right there in our defensive meeting room. And it had, I mean, every situation, <laughs> his philosophy of how he, he thought that, you know, you could do things to hurt him on offense when in return right. he wanted us to do that on defense right For i mean sure. so it, it was and it was detailed yeah <laughs> and he'd come in there every i mean he wouldn't say much he'd come in our defense meeting room every night and he'd say hey, that's just, look at number six up there look at number six <laughs> you know and, yeah. and i mean that's all he had to do yeah and we we knew that i mean what he meant yeah now back to the recruiting side of things coaches i'm curious do, do you like the star system i mean are you, do you like because i know they say that coaches don't pay attention to it but it's you know, recruiting is the lifeblood of college football, and it's it's hard to ignore it, I guess. But I mean, when you were recruiting, did you did you care? Did you like? Because you know, fans especially get so caught up in it. Like, you know, hey, DJ Swearinger, he was a three star, or you know, Dylan was a two. You know, Connor Shaw was a three, and I mean, the best players in school history, a lot of them were three stars. Then of course you got the guys like Clownies, who right. five star best recruit ever. I mean, but I mean, do you like the star system? Do you? Because I know you recruited before that even existed. I mean, do right. you? Do you like it? Did you even care? Like, do, do do any coaches go into recruiting and look at those ratings and put any stock into it? Not really. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't think so. I mean, because I, just, I mean, I, I didn't want somebody else making decisions for me. Right. As far as an evaluation, because most people don't know what they need to be looking for. Right. You know, they just, you know, they get talking. And the thing I didn't like about the star system was that when our people would start rating kids, mm -hmm. If I mean, if it wasn't high enough rating, it hurt us in recruiting. Yeah, because the kids say, you know, y'all's people don't think I'm very good. Yeah, and that that's where I thought it was a, a huge negative. Mm. But I understand. I mean, at the, the star I mean, system. Yeah. I mean, people get into it. And Business all that. is literally created out of it. I mean, it, oh, it is. You know, the sites literally they operate off of that. That's literally that business <laughs> model. I guess you could say. I mean, I just I, I was speaking at a Gamecock Club meeting in Augusta one year. And I, I, I made a statement. I said, I hope none of you people, you know, really pay attention to this stuff, this star stuff. <laughs> and there was a, a, a wife out there and she started punching her husband and, and the, in the ribs. And she was, I could tell she yeah. was like, I told you. Yeah. I, just bunch of names. yeah. I mean, it's with all due respect to what the guys do. But like I said, I mean, if you look at the star ratings, like I said, DJ Swearinger was a three and he turns out to be, you know, arguably the greatest, well, I mean, most I'm, decorated I mean, defensive back ever come through. So I'm going to give you the, the best example, there was a guy, and I'm not going to say his name, but out of Chesterfield mm. that was rated the number one linebacker in the entire country. Mm. We didn't think he was very good. <laughs> Clemson didn't think he was very good. Mm. Well, he signed Michigan. Because Michigan said, we're going to go get us, get us a five-star linebacker right. out of South Carolina. Well, he goes to Michigan. First time he got homesick, they were like, yeah, you probably need to go back home. Because they ain't in practice, and they realized right. what happened. Well, he comes back. Well, now we've got to recruit him again because our fans are like, you know, yeah, Clemson's <laughs> got to recruit him because you can't come out and say, no, no. yeah, you, you, you know, yeah. Well, Clemson did a worse job recruiting him the second time than we did, so we end up with him. 
And all he ever did was he played a little bit on the scout team. Right. I think he ended up transferring Benedict. I don't even know if he ever played there either. Right. I mean, but how does that happen? I mean, how can a kid be, how can the ratings be that off? I mean, it's just people that just don't know what they're talking about. I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, people, what, what they do, they, they look at a guy, they look at his body. Right. They say, well, he's got to be a great player. Right. But that's not true. Right. I mean, it's, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that I do whenever I evaluate, like I have them squatting down like a catcher, Yeah. you know, and keep their heels on the ground. If they can't keep their heels on the ground, they can't, they can't change direction. Right. You can't, you cannot change that. Yeah, it's done. Yeah, you know, and I look at muscle bellies, like in their in their biceps and in their thighs. You know, if if they don't have a, a what I call a a muscle belly, like a little mountain right here, right. in their thighs and arms, they can't get strong. Yeah, there's nothing you can do to change right. it. it. Doesn't mean they're going to be a bad player, but they're never going to get strong. I had one at uh, one of the best players I ever coached, Michigan State. <laughs> he used to be so upset because he his numbers in the weight room were not very good and i right. told him i said josh i said you're never going to be strong so you're a heck of a player you played four or five years in the nfl right i said you're a heck of a player because you got all the other stuff and he had all the intangibles too yeah but uh and that's that's the other thing too that you've got to know the demeanor i know you talked about last time i think it was what devin taylor you devin punched taylor. him or whatever and well i mean what we did <laughs> sylvia's mom brought him down to the camp yeah and uh, and i and, and devin was so mild talking so meek yeah. uh, just i mean quiet yeah and um, which was not how he played football yeah but i, I really worried about that yeah and so his mom brought him down to camp in summer i, I said all right Devin, i'm i'm gonna be the offensive lineman i said i'm gonna start the drill i'm gonna give you a little you know come punch you right here <laughs> and i said i want you to give me your best pass rush move well i hauled off and hit him with my fist as hard as i could in his chest and when i did i mean his eyes went red I mean, and he just, I mean, he, excuse me, me about whipping my ass yeah. after on the football field. And that's why I went over to Sylvia, his mom. I said, Sylvia, he's got scholarship. Yeah. We won. Yeah. That's, that's all I need to see was that right there. Yeah. You got to have, have guys with that edge, I man. Like, you know, DJ swearing. DJ I, mean, swearing. I, had, I had, you know, it's fortunate after, after our conversation, September had him on the show. And obviously, I mean, it speaks for itself, but when he's telling stories about, He's telling Dabo Sweeney and recruiting, I'm, I'm going to go to Carolina. I'm never going to lose to you. Like that, That's the type of edge you – the stars don't tell you that. And and I I know the hit he had against Clemson. Yeah. I don't know who was the guy, the running back. Ellington. Okay. Andre Ellington. Yeah, yeah. Ellington's brother, whatever. Yeah. But when he hit him and he gave the <laughs> – The flat the right here? Yeah, the strong right man. Yeah. yeah, that right there, that picture. Yeah. I, I wish I had that picture. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll, we'll get it taken care We'll get it for you. Well, I'm, I'd love to have it. Yeah, that. we'll get it for you. We'll get it for you. But – uh. When he did, again, I was responsible for DJ because I recruited him. Yeah. So I started on the field because I know he's getting ready to get penalties out the Yazoo. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I started on the field. Coach Spur just grabbed me by the, by the shoulder and said, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Let him do his thing. Yeah. That, that was so it makes him great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's still doing it in the league now. I mean, it's just it's, that edge is what makes two spoons, Jungle Boy swag, the players. Obviously, again, Coach, we got you in here. Things are a lot different now than the last time we spoke, and uh, there's a new head man in Columbia, Shane Beamer, obviously right. somebody you know very, very well. So first, when you were in Columbia, your time there, because you were there during his whole tenure in Columbia. He was there, what, 07 to 10, and left to go be on his dad's staff in, right. uh, at Virginia Tech. I'll ask you first, did you ever have run-ins with, with Frank Beamer? Did you ever know him at all, or did you go against him or anything? Or, you know, what was your <coughs> takeaways from the, Frank? The first time we ever coached or I ever coached against Frank Beamer was – it might have been 89, and it was at Virginia Tech when uh, we about missed the game. 
because we didn't know they don't do police escorts in Virginia. Ah, and so we're at, we're <laughs> so, well, we're staying so near Roanoke, whatever. And and uh, the guy he just turned the siren the siren on, and he just went regular speed the whole way up the road. Well, I mean, we were we about we were late. Yeah. So we get dressed real quick, and and Frank, man, we beat them. But they were ahead uh, about three touchdowns going in the fourth quarter. Mike Dingle. Oh yeah, had a great game. I mean, uh, he came out. I mean, in, in the second half, or I mean, he he put on a show, and we beat them. Mm. And there was a lot of speculation after that game that Frank Beamer, this might be his last season. And we had kind of put the nail in the coffin yeah. at Vatek. Yes, <laughs> in '89. <laughs> I think I think it was '89. Yeah, yeah. It was that sounds about right. Yeah. I think I think so. Yeah. And yeah. So that that was the first time, and then we played Virginia Tech a, a lot. Mm. Uh, uh, back then, because we were an independent, right? They were an independent also, and so we've got to play. But I mean, his teams were always so well coached. Yeah, I mean, and he was t- responsible for all his special teams, and I mean, he, he just—they were so well coached. Yeah. In fact, I've got a, a neat story. Uh, when we played them here, we ended up tying that night. Mm. And they didn't have overtime back in. I think it was seventeen seventeen. But we recovered a fumble on uh, their one-yard line. Mm. In fact, Tim High, uh, rest in peace. But Tim High recovered the fumble, and he came out of the pile with it in his hands and went sprinting to the dang <laughs> sideline to show all the fans, you know, who we recovered the fumble. Well, the officials go in there; they can't find the ball. And the rule is, if you can't find the ball, it goes back to the offense. Mm. Well, we would have had the ball first and goal on the one yard line, and the game ended up in a tie. Instead, oh. Virginia Tech got the ball back and ended up punting out of there. And the game ended up 17 7. I think 17 17. But that taught me something that I never covered with players. So from then on, I mean, one of the first things I cover about fumble recovery or interception, mm-hmm. you give the ball to the official. Don't give it to one of your teammates. I didn't even know that. So, yeah. yeah. You know, give the ball. <laughs> always give the ball. Find the official and give him the ball. Don't yeah. just throw it up. Yeah. <laughs> don't, you know, don't go running off with it. Yeah. Just give it to the official. And, uh, yeah, that's ended up a tie ball game yeah. with the Hokies that night. Here, uh, unless you're DJ Swearinger, then you throw it in the stands after a fix. Well, that's so. what Kenny McKinnon did. <laughs> and Kenny, he <laughs> threw his ball away. I think Spurrier said we were going to give him a game ball, but he, he threw it in the stands. Oh, he told me. This is what happened in, in the locker room <laughs> after the game. He was giving out game balls. He's giving this guy, this guy, and he said, Kenny, he said, you get a game ball too. He said, if you can go out there and find it up in the stands, you can have it. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, you know, just, I, I remember him saying that too. God, that's classic coach Furry. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, of course, again, now, like I said, his son's the head coach and you, you got to meet him. He gets there in 2007 and, you know, the whole Beamer ball thing, of course, but he's, he's just a young, young dude coming to Columbia. And it's funny, Mike Gillespie, good buddy of mine that works for, ABC Columbia, he posted the clip, and I, I reposted it of the introductory press conference of when Coach Spurrier introduced Shane Beamer, and of course, and he was talking recruiting, and obviously Shane had a big, big hand in recruiting, so I'm sure y'all worked very, together right. very closely. I'd just love to hear, again, your perspective on getting to know Coach Beamer as a coach. And again, he was such a young dude at that point, but coming from you know the lineage of coaching with his dad and what he did at Vitek, what, what were your experiences like with Coach Beamer in – you know, coaching on field, off field, recruiting, just everything. Well, the the main thing that Shane did, I thought he did really, really, really good. He knew 
he didn't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you get some young guys when they come in, you know, they, they don't want to listen. He was like a sponge. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would ask questions. He was wanting to know everything he could and learn. And, uh, and he recognized there were some good coaches in that room. And so, I mean, he was always asking questions and recruiting, you know, defensive ball. I mean, the whole nine yards. And uh, I thought he did an outstanding job when he was, you know, a young coach when he was here. Mm. And then uh, he invited me to practice uh, about uh, a couple of weeks. About that, about a week and a half left of spring ball. Mm. And I went over there and watched him one day practice. And he runs a good practice. Mm. I mean, it's. I mean, it's fast paced. It's, it's a lot of energy mm-hmm. and it's, it's, it's it, he runs good practice. And, uh, and, and as, as they get more talent and, and they got some talent yeah. up there, I mean, I, I mean, I was <clears throat> impressed with some of their defensive linemen mm-hmm. and as they continue that going, you know, getting more talent then you know, they're going to be fine. Yeah. They're going to be fine. It's just, it's just going to take a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, sure. the, the thing that's, you know, I mean, what they're doing up up the road. I mean, it, it took a while for them to get that going like that. Right. And, I mean, that's tough to overcome right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. But they will, because there's enough kids in this area that want to come to South Carolina. Mm-hmm. You know, there's enough guys that are going to want to be coached by the coaches there, mm-hmm. that, you know, that Shane's brought in. And, and Shane, again, he's – I mean, he's got an unbelievable personality, and it's infectious, you know. And, yeah. And uh, so I, I really think that – uh He's he's a heck of a hire for the yeah. University of South Carolina. Yeah, for sure. And again, he gets the the job as the head coach. I, I thought the the coaching search was really interesting. Um, just the impact the Letterman had, and the sense of I feel like everybody knew South Carolina needed to go a different direction and think outside the box because the the typical names came up. You know, the, the the Hugh Freezes and the Billy Napiers, and with all due respect to those guys, I mean. I'm so glad we didn't go that direction, especially like the freeze thing. Cause that's who I think South Carolina, everybody was expecting them, at least the national guys to go higher. And I feel like, you know, you heard this so much from the alumni and guys I was fortunate enough to talk to and everybody, of course, that played for him. You know, they all wanted Shane to get the job. Cause it's like, we can either go with this, you know, kind of cookie cutter hire who everybody expects, but South Carolina is a unique place. It's a unique job. The culture's unique. There's a challenge to it. Of course it's, you know, let's call it for what it is. It's not the easiest job in the world. But you need somebody who understands what it is, what it can be, wants to take on that challenge. And who better than a guy, Shane Beamer, who literally went to Atlanta in 2010 with you guys, has seen Carolina football at its heights, and he knows what it can be. And I think that was, you know, of course, again, talking to alumni and talking, I'm sure, to yourself, that was just – that was really important. I'm really glad as as a fan, South Carolina took a different approach. Because, again, it's one of those things, with all due respect to everybody else in the past, you know, the Gamecocks, we've – We've recycled the Florida alums and the Georgia alums, and I'm so happy to see a, a Gamecock really, you know, get his shot. You know, and like you said, you, you hate to reference up the road, but rolling the dice works out. Every now and then it does. So why not take the chance of one of your own? I, I well, think I'll, I'll give you an example here. Uh, Michigan <laughs> State had a young secondary coach uh, named Nick Saban years and years ago, mm-hmm. and he went and uh, did his NFL thing and with uh, Belichick of Cleveland and. He had been a head coach one time for one year. That was at Toledo, mm. and Michigan State really, you know, took a chance. They hired a guy, a guy that been around New Michigan State football, and then the rest is history. Mm. I mean, you're talking about probably the most outstanding, you know, defensive mind yeah. in, in, in football history. Mm. And so, uh, <clears throat> and then they did the same there, Mark D'Antonio, yeah. who's a South Carolina graduate. Mm. And so it's. 
you you got to give a guy a chance sometime. Yeah. I mean, these coaches don't just grow on trees. They got to, you know, they got <laughs> to start somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, I think Shane, again, you, know, you always hear patience. But people got to understand. I mean, it's there's some work to be done. He even had to have patience with Coach Spurrier. I mean, he had to build it. He had to get right. the guys. You know, I mean, that, and that's the biggest thing I wanted to ask you, of course. But you know, everybody asked me, you know, what are you looking for in year one? If you want to talk about the schedule and talk about record, and you know, <clears throat> certainly you want to win games because you know, as you win games, you build momentum, and you know, as a coach, it shows the kids, hey, what we're telling you, what we're teaching you, it works. You know, we're not just blowing smoke up your ass or lack of better way of putting it. So you want to win games because it's like, what comes first success or confidence. Right. Right. But I think for this year, what I keep telling people is, you know, I think getting to six and six, getting to a bowl game is, is realistic with having the non-conference schedule back. And you look at the schedule, like you said, there is talent on the roster. I mean, you really feel like there are some good players on that roster, but more importantly for me, I just want to see a well-coached football team, disciplined, excited to play, you know, encouraging each other plays the game the right way approaches each game the right way that's what i'm more so focused on because i'm sure you'd agree once you have the right coaches in place and you're building the culture obviously you're going to be laying the groundwork laying the foundation this year i mean you're already doing that right now but you're laying the foundation once you have that in place it's like okay now let's go get some big time ball players because with all due respect everybody on the roster like you got to have the Jimmys and Joes. I mean, I, I tell people, you know, and Nick Saban's a great coach for sure, not taking anything away, but I watch Alabama and I'm like, dude, they just have better players than everybody else. I mean, all their players are NFL guys. Like, how are you going to beat them? You know what I mean? So you got to have those players. But that, that, that for me, you know, I, I'd love to get your insight on in this, in this first year. I just want to see a well coached team and a team excited to play and is proud to wear that, that Carolina on their jersey. And, you know, I think that's something maybe that was, Maybe missing a little bit from the last couple of years. You know, DJ when I have him on the show, he's talking about somewhere that the, you know, the standard got lost. The culture got lost a little bit. I mean, it's former players were seeing it too. And so that's that's what I'm more so looking for in year one. You want to win games, but establishing that kind of getting that back, you know, in this first and, year. And we had developed that culture. I mean, with our <laughs> players and I mean, because we on that practice field every day, it was no nonsense. Yeah. I mean, there, there were certain standards as far as effort. Mm and toughness that you had to live up to. And if you didn't, you, you know, it's going to be a tough <laughs> life for you. Mm. I mean, it's, I just remember, uh, making kids just run to the football, mm. you know, and I remember some of them didn't buy into it, you know, and I said, you're not going to play here. Mm. I remember Stanley Doty. I mean, he very first game we opened up with Mississippi state you know, on Thursday night mm. down there. And, and I kept telling him all camp. I said, if you don't start practicing hard, I said, you're not going to play. Yeah. And he thought that was, you know, that was, wasn't the truth. Yeah. And he played one snap against Mississippi state and we shut him out. Mm-hmm. He came up to me after the game. He said, what was that about? I said, I told you, if you're not going to practice hard, you're not yeah. going to play for us. Yeah. And Nathan pepper came up to me after the game. He said, coach, he said, thanks. He said, we needed that for these kids, these players, our, yeah. you know, teammates to see, that you do have to work hard. If yeah. you don't work hard, you're not going to play here. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, it's, it's it's about making that standard. I always heard from day one, you know, you get what you demand. Yeah. And if you don't demand a lot from them, then don't expect a lot from them. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. And I was very fortunate to be around a bunch of coaches then that were here in you know Carolina that we all had the same standard. Yeah. And, and we all understood that. And, and, and like I say, being under Coach Spurrier, he was a guy that, I mean, that, that's that's it was his deal too. I mean, yeah. If you weren't gonna play hard, I mean, you weren't gonna play. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, Coach, I know we're looking forward to the season. Uh, we, we actually have a special guest now. I want to go ahead and get in here. The real MVP, the, the partner in crime of the Lawings, Laura Lawing, uh, Coach's wife, obviously, real MVP. We'll get her behind the mic, Coach, if you want to switch places. I want to ask her a couple of questions. Like I said, it's the first time ever for the show. So very excited to get here. And like I said, y'all go ahead, y'all switch. We'll, we'll, right. we'll go ahead and do this. We'll, we'll, we're going to make this part of the interview, Coach. So like I said, I know that the listeners right now are very uh, surprised on the edge of their seat. Again, of course, always a legendary conversation with Coach Lowing. But Laura Lowing and Miss Lowing, like I said, the second half, we've all heard about like Jerry Spurrier and everything and how important coaches' wives are. But I, I'd love to hear again from – so when did you guys get how, – how long have you been together? When did you get married? Well, mm-hmm. So you've been through the entire coaching – you know, from the beginning, from the beginning, yes. from the day one. And uh, of course, like I said, it's great to have you on, by the way. Great to chat Thank with you. you. But Thank you. being a coach's wife, I- I'm sure that's got to be pretty interesting. A lot of long hours, you know, all of the traveling and the recruiting and, you know, always going. We hear the stories of coaches are at the facility till midnight, sleeping at the facility. Like, what was it like? You know, what or what's it been like, I guess, being a coach's wife and being sort of that support system? Because they need you, obviously, you get. It gets tough. You don't win every game. You obviously need somebody there for you in the uh, during the ups and the downs. But what I guess overall, just what was it like being a being a coach's wife and being on the the journey, if you will? Well, for me, it was very exciting. I yeah. I loved it, but I knew from the very beginning. In fact, when Brad asked me to marry him, he said, "I do want you to understand what it's going to be like to be married <laughs> to a coach. Uh, you have to be very independent. Right. You have to be able to do things on your own and." Um, and be very supportive and try to be into the career as much as you can. Mm. Um, and I, I enjoyed like all of it. Now there's some negatives. Like I say, yeah. you have to get used to your husband, not being home very much, mm. very long hours. Um, and then with recruiting being gone on the weekends. Um, but that's just part of it. Mm. So you have to, to realize that as you go along. Mm. But, now coach obviously had a ton of stops we, we won't hold it against you if you don't say columbia but is there one that was like your favorite stop uh, along the the journey no and you know i get that question all the time people mm-hmm. will say what was your favorite place i we were never anywhere that i didn't like mm-hmm. but there were different things about every school and every town mm-hmm. that i liked that was different one place it was the staff that was more exciting to mm-hmm. be around one place it was the town one times it was the school so um I really cannot say there's one particular mm. place that I like the best. I liked all of them. Mm. But I, I guess I, I associate most of our coaching career was here at South Carolina. Yeah. With two stints, yeah. With sure. two stints and long stints, yeah. our children were basically raised here. Yeah. So they consider uh, Columbia their home. Yeah. I was going to ask you, what, what would you say were your favorite things about Columbia specifically? Because I know, I know obviously the second time around with, you know, I feel like I remember maybe it was 2011 or 12, but it was some – they were breaking down practice, some behind the scenes thing. And it was Coach Spurrier talking about how close all the coaches were and the coaches' wives and the kids of the co- everybody was it was real tight-knit family with the coaching staff. But favorite things from those two stints in Columbia that really stand out to well, me. Well, and that's really true. The the staff that we had under Coach Spurrier here mm-hmm. was just amazing. Mm-hmm. We all got along wonderful together. The wives got along great together. Mm-hmm. We just had a lot of fun. And we had, of course probably the best head coach's wife here to guide us and to make it that way. Mm. And Jerry Sperger always did. She Mm. just knew what to do to keep a unit for everybody. And um, we were able to go to the, all the ball games, which was Mm. such a treat. Never had been, had I been anywhere Mm. where the head coach allowed all of the wives to go to any game that they wanted to go to. So we would Mm. fly with the team 
And that was very exciting for us here. That was probably mm. one of the things I like the best here is really mm. being more of a part of it. And like I say, working with Jerry Spurrier, she, I yeah. just can't say enough wonderful things about her. She was absolutely great. Yeah. I was gonna say on, on that note in closing Laura, cause I'm not going to keep you too long, but Jerry Spurrier, you know, we all here is, uh, you know, coach Spurrier calls her the, the best coach's wife in college football. And, yeah. you know, we joked off air to put up with him every day. I, I feel like you have to, she's probably got just as sharp a wit or probably more than, than he does. I'd imagine. But, uh, what what do you what do you think makes made her because you know I heard too from players like how she was she'd bring cookies for them and like was was treating them like her kids basically I'm sure you feel the same way like right you, they, it almost feels like it's an extension of your family they're almost right. like your kids you get to know it, them well, so it is, well it is yeah. football is uh, was her life <clears throat> yeah and she made the students and I mean the players and the parents of those players mm. always feel at home and appreciated by mm. everyone so. Um, Anyway, she was terrific. And, and we were talking about now we of having Shane Beamer, mm. his wife, Emily was here, of course, when we were here and she was just out. It, it was their first trip away from where she was from because yeah. she met him in Starkville, you mm. know? Right. Um, so when she came here, um, I think she was, it was different for her. She mm. had, she was long ways away from her family and where she had grown up. And so I think we, we sort of bonded in, I was one of the older coaches wives on the mm. staff. So um, she wanted to know all about what it was like to, to be a coach's <laughs> wife. And she is right. the sweetest, most wonderful person. So I think that Emily will make a wonderful head coach's wife. Yeah. Well, good I to really know Shane's uh, coach Beamer's got a good support system there. Uh, he does. Emily he really does. Yeah. She's super. So. Yeah. In case anybody was curious or wondering, good to know coach Beamer through, through the ups, through the downs. She'll we've support him we've got his back, but she's going to be there for him every she step will of the be. way. That, that's great. the good news. And she really, I mean, she's, been married to football too the yeah. whole time so yeah. she understands it now yeah you love to hear it well for yeah. sure well laura brad this has been a pleasure um obviously again for the listeners this has been a unique different type of show but i appreciate you taking the time joining coach long obviously sure. coach it's always great to chat with you but again for the longs i'm chris phillips we appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the spurs up show ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done